Hello, welcome to another episode of Tank Nuts. My guest today is the star of the TV series Combat Dealers. It's only Mr. Bruce Crompton. Hello, Bruce. How you doing, mate? Good afternoon. How the devil are we? All right? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. Firstly, Bruce, thank you so much for taking time out. Um, I realise you're always an incredibly busy man. I don't know where you find the hours. Well, listen, first of all, it's my pleasure. Obviously, anybody with the same type of interest to me, I can talk, wind me up, I can talk for hours. But I'm happy to, obviously, have these chats with people. And obviously you, because I'll get a chance to ask you that tenor I lent you last time. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. So, no, Bruce, nice I, from you, Richard. Um, Bruce, really kicking off, um, I mean, we spoke a few days ago on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, you've sort of been off the grid for a while, for a very yeah. good reason, um, yeah. due to the accident. Do you want to just, yeah. uh, I mean, how are you? Well, I mean, not to be kind, it's the second year, really. I mean, first of all, I spent 20 weeks in hospital and then wow. another five months recovering. It'll be another year before I'm fully recovered. I've got to have another operation. But basically, what we were doing, we were practicing for the D-Day Dakota jump. You know, the big, you know, the Dakotas going over from uh, Duxford. Well, a friend of mine had organised that, so I was heavily involved in that, and I was obviously, hopefully, going to be right at the front on the first plane. Well, we did a practice jump on an old SAS uh, DZ in uh, Holland. It was a French SAS right at the end of the war. And um, all going well, did a bit of a television interview beforehand, all the lads, my mates and everybody there as well, all uh, either ex-military paratroopers or whatever, but off we go, lovely. I had bought a brand new American parachute, which I'd never used before. So I was looking forward to you and really, you know, well talked about parachute. Up we go. There we go. Our sticks got mucked up a little bit. Anyway, out I come. And uh, parachute, beautiful, beautiful. But as you probably know, you know, when you come into the end, when you're about to land, you have to turn the parachute into the wind, slow you down a bit. But there was hardly any wind. And I saw that I saw exactly where I wanted to land. But just before that, there was a little clump of wood. So I thought, well, I'll easily miss that. Unfortunately, I turned into the wind and the parachute stopped. It actually stopped. Wow. And instead of gliding forward where I thought I was going to do, I just came straight down. And unfortunately, it took me into a, a clump of trees, quite tall trees. Um, but the worst thing about it was I'd got, it, I'd got my ankle had got caught in a branch. And so it turned me upside down. And I couldn't, I had to get my reserve off. I, was, I could hardly breathe because I was upside down. And it was getting worse and worse and worse till virtually I was hanging upside down and it felt like I was ripping my leg off, right? Um, so... Uh, everybody saying, don't move, don't move. It was a bet. It's, it's an argument between 35 and 40 foot, but it's still it's high enough it was. But anyway, I couldn't end it because I thought my leg was going to break. Tried to kick out and I fell the full length head first, unfortunately, to the ground. Whoa. And uh, I've got to be honest here, nice to see you again here, Richard, but <laughs> I shouldn't be here. I'm very, very lucky. Um, I had horrendous injuries, internal injuries, um, and I'm very, very lucky to be here. It was nobody's fault, nobody to blame. It was just one of those freak accidents. You know, I'm quite experienced, and uh, I could, and I just, just caught these trees. And normally, you'd be out hanging the harness, but it, it, it turned me upside down. And uh, unfortunately, the result of that, it's taken a year of my life away, plus my spleen, plus part of my liver, plus other, Good they're chopping Lord. bits out of me, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better now, mate. And to be quite honest, I'm, I'm glad to be back in the circuit and on the scene and getting on with some, you know, some new programs and combat dealers. 
I always told you, Bruce, there was a good reason I always chopped to go, went tanky as opposed to uh, para, that's for sure. And I think that's... Uh, <laughs> oh, no, we had that bet, didn't we? We had that bet when we was in Czechoslovakia together. There was going to be... So I can't remember what the bet was. I was going to get you to jump out of a plane. Well, now my advice to you now is keep your feet on the ground. <laughs> I've got to be honest yeah. I was gutted. You know, I, sp- I was really gutted. I suppose, Bruce, that really takes us back to some of the, you know, the young Bruce then. So obviously you were in the parachute regiment for a while... Yeah. Yes, um, obviously, but, but, but the, the career and how I'd started with everything goes back to when I was a real teen, probably like yourself and the love of this hobby, you know. It, you know, I mean, going, the whole military thing and me getting fascinated with this goes back to probably when I was eight or nine years old. I've got to be honest yeah. And the so first love of the first item I got. You're obviously a London lad, Bruce, as uh, people can obviously gather by the very subtle accent you've got no, there. I'm actually from Cornwall. Are you really? No. no, no. Do I'm you know, I'll bleed Can- you for a second I'm, then as well. I'm from Can- good old Canning Town and uh, brought up there. So, um, yeah, you never lose. You know, I live up here in North Suffolk. I've been up here 30 years now. I go to some little news agents and people say, I'll be here at all again, sir. You know, it's another five years <laughs> before I get a watch. I get a gold watch at 35 years. But no, no, I am an EastEnder and proud of it. So where did the love of, of history and everything come from then, Bruce? What was the sort of earliest age, really, that you really got into it all? As a youngster, I've got to be honest, I, I always, you know, we all had the, the commando little books and those, and I used to like those as well. And I always had, I don't know why I had this fascination um, for the Second World War. And, and the, the, the whole collecting thing really started out. And the last day I was leaving my primary school, I had to walk past, down the road, walk past a guy that had a greenhouse at the bottom of his garden. And in the greenhouse, there was a German helmet upside down with daffodils coming out of it. And I, I had a fixation. I really did fixation. So the last day that I was walking past that, uh, before I didn't have to do it anymore, I thought, no, pluck up some courage and go and, See if he, you know I can do something. Went. I knocked on the door and I went to the bloke. You got any? He, he went. Well, what German? What are you talking about? And I said, Well, I don't know, but I, I'll be prepared to. You know, I'll prepare. Buy it. I didn't have a tanner. I didn't have nothing. Right. And anyway, he went. Just a minute. Just a minute. He disappeared. Come back ten minutes later. He chucked out the daffodils. And he went. There you go. Now basically, piss off. <laughs> you know that was it. And um, that was it. That was me first. The first thing that really got me intrigued in it. And then I was very, very lucky um, after that. My mother knew I was very interested in the Second World War, and she had a friend of hers called Joe Royal, whose husband was Captain Joe, was Captain Joe Royal. And he'd been, in the, uh, he'd been at Dunkirk, he'd been in Tunisia, and he'd been badly injured in Tunisia. He'd been a forward fire controller, and a mortar bomb had um, exploded near him and given him terrible wounds under his chin. So he was evacuated. And uh, he was telling me the story about how he was evacuated and he'd uh, got hold of some items that he wanted to bring back to Britain. So he said, well, they got into Portsmouth Harbour, no, Southampton Harbour. And he said, uh, it went across the Tannoy, anybody caught with any illegal, illicit weapons, blah, blah. He reckons the back of the boat was like Agincourt. He said there was <laughs> guns going flying over. Anyway, this is how. He turned up at my house one day and I showed how I was really interested. I was asking about what, you know, he did and very, very nice gentleman. Uh, a week later, he came back to the house to see me and he went, I've got something for you. I went, what's that? Now, I'm 11 years old now, right? He pulled out an MP40 German machine gun, right? And a P38 Enfield revolver. And he went, there you go. They're yours. I went, Ugh. Well, after I got up, as a youngster kid, you imagine being given an MP4 machine gun. And what he'd done, that was the item he'd smuggled back into the UK. 
and he'd forgotten all about it. Then he remembered after meeting me that uh, he'd stored it in his brother's farm uh, in a barn. So he went to his brother's house, went up the barn, found the gun, 200 rounds of ammunition, went down in the field, fired them all off, filed down the firing pin and gave me the gun. So the firing pin, so it wouldn't work if you, you know, it did. But unfortunately, at 11 years old, I'd already joined the Army Cadets. I was doing metal work at work, at school, and within a month I had a firing pin and I had a cut around. So, so, <laughs> so that was my claim. I've still got it. It's deactivated now, but I've still got that weapon. And, and that gentleman... Some of the things he'd been through really were horrific, and it really enthused me. He was on Longstop Hill. You would remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a, a tank man in, uh, in Tunisia. Terrible, terrible battle up there. Taking it once, back, back once. And then it, it really went from there, and my enthusiasm just grew and grew and grew. And um, in my early years, I, I, you know, I travelled a lot, and I, I started to acquire bits and pieces. And it just went from there. Uh, the thing about everything that I do, Richard, I know it's similar to yourself because we talked about this before. You know, we're into tanks, and I'm very fortunate that I've got some incredible items. I've got, um, you know, if you've got to get up and see this Panther tank, it's finished now, it's running. Love to, yeah. Right? Um, it's like brand new. But what fascinates me is the story behind it. And because of combat dealers, we have a, a very big following. And a lot of people ask, oh, how can I get into this now? Can I, what shall I do and all that? The most important thing is the story behind it. It's not about the tank that's worth millions of this, and it's not whatever. It's about that little badge that guy kept and what he'd been through. And it's that stuff that really keeps me absolutely drawn in and interested in an unbelievable way. And every day, you know, nobody knows everything. And I, I, I suppose I like to class myself as a bit of an amateur historian, but I'm aghast at what I learned. And, and sometimes I'm absolutely thrown back in my chair when people tell me things and things that items that are related to things of bravery. I got in collecting medals a few years ago in a big way. And in the, um, in the seventies, uh, as a family, we had a business down in South Africa and I spent quite a lot of time in South Africa and I was fascinated with the Zulu wars, you know, is Anawana, Rourke's Drift and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, most weekends I used to be down there. I just, you know, it was down near Dundee and I went down there a lot and acquired quite a few artifacts and bits and pieces like that. And, you know, and so that was the 24th regiment of foot became the South Wales borderers. Consequently, I started collecting South Wales boulders, First World War. When you get in to what those guys did, and I was into gallantry awards, right? When you actually start to read what those guys went through to get that and, and, and then compare it with today and how in 1914 these guys just had no idea. There were no telly, no radio in respect to finding out what the real war was like. Yeah. And it, it's... Even to this day, it shocks me. You know, I, I recently um, put up on um, Lois put up on my little page. We do a set of medals where the mother uh, had, couldn't was writing to the Ministry of Defence, pleading to go out to the battlefield to try and find the grave of her son. And it, she went back not till 1921 was she allowed out there. And the photographs and it, 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 with the medals, there was a little locket with a photograph of him and a bit of a really, really upset. And then there's other ones where you think these guys, other guys are absolutely raving mad or you know what I mean, or should be locked up because they some of the heroism and some of the things that they carry out, it's just beyond belief. And I tell everybody, it's always about the item. You know, I know people, you know, the, the value of this stuff has soared through the years and I'm glad I started collecting years ago, but, you know, it's always important 
to get the story behind it. And for me, you know, I've said that to you before, you know, you're a former, you know, military man and you, you must know that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, the machinery is fascinating, but like you say, I mean, especially for tanks, it's always the stories of the men, you know, yeah, I suppose yeah. being sort of afterwards and what they had to go through and the things they put up with. And yeah, you're right. No, totally. That's exactly what I find fascinating. I think so when Bruce, I when... Down, sorry. sorry. Sorry, go on. No, here you go. When I was down at Bovington at one time, um, uh, um, David Willey was showing me one of the First World War tanks uh, that you had down there where a guy had been stuck inside or something and fought off by hand through the little uh, pistol holes there. And the story behind that, what he fought off and how he survived, it just, you think, relate that to now. I mean, obviously, modern warfare can be horrific and that type of thing as well. But you put yourself in those situations. I was talking to somebody recently about... Hawthorne Ridge down on the Somme, uh, these massive explosions they put on. Now, these massive holes are still there today. You go to Caterpillar Ridge uh, down at Ypres, you know, there are 5,000 people buried under mm-hmm. that. You know, it's just hard to imagine that type of thing. Um, so the whole, don't get me wrong, I'm interested in all aspects of history. I mean, I'm a right nut when it comes to dressing up as a Roman at weekends. I'm into British <laughs> I didn't, Roman. I didn't know that. I didn't no, know you were into no, Romans. No, no. I'm really into British Roman history. Fascinated the Celts uh, and a lot of that side of stuff. And then maybe I'll switch, as I told you, I'm very interested in the Anglo-Zulu Wars, the American Civil War. But honestly, I... Uh, the conflicts in this country at the moment, the big thing is Richard III. I'm just mad about Richard III. Was he a good king? Wasn't he a good bad king? Or whatever. And hopefully at one point, we'll, I'll, br- I'll bring it to the TV at one point. But at the moment, we're just waiting to be able to start with the uh, combat dealers again now, with a big bang, with uh, hopefully what's in some of the episodes. And hopefully you'll be watching. So combat dealers, Bruce, I mean, how, how did that all come about then? I mean, did you just suddenly wake up one day and think, do you know what, I'm going to make a TV series? Or um... Right, right. Again, listen, I, listen, somewhere along the lines, right, I must be struck with a bit of luck because I've, I've done a few weird things in my life, been very fortunate with other things. Anyway, I get a phone call one day uh, from a guy called Stephen Green, and he was uh, one of the owners of a company called Wag TV. Now, National Geographical had approached them about doing a pilot for people that restore uh, military vehicles. So what they did was they got onto the two magazines at the time. One was a military machine and one was classic military vehicle. You remember the two? There were two, yeah, weren't yeah. there? Anyway, so they spoke to them. And we where we do a lot of restoration here and do my own stuff up and then go to shows and bits and pieces like that, um, military machine said, well, you got to go and see this guy because I've done loads of front covers for them. And then they gave him some others. They gave him four others to go and see. So they said, look, can I come up and talk to you about doing a pilot run? I went, oh, I ain't got the time for that. I spend most of my time in London and blah, blah, blah. Look, look, please, can we come up? So, all right, they come up today. Well, they turned up with a TV crew, right? You know what I mean? They didn't give me time to get, you know, a Portland cement in for makeup for me and nothing like that, right? And right <laughs> took me on the ball, they did. So we did a bit, we had a nice day chatting around in it and then did a few scenes and all that and I, I didn't think anything had come with it. Then they phoned me back and they said, look, let me tell you what's happened. First of all, this has gone to Discovery, not National Geographical and they want to do the show, they want to do a series now but nothing with anybody else, only about you, right? Because I channeled workshops and all that and I went, oh, you, you, you're choking, you know, I know. So I said, well, look, oh, we've got to have a think about it and I sat down that night, spoke with the family and I said, look, 
Um, it'd be a bit of fun, bit of, you know, and they promised me because I did say, as long as it's fun, you know, it's in the, that for me was a, and it's done properly. So we sat down with a family and Lois, Max, Sue and everybody, and we talked about it and we said, well, come on, let's have a go with it. Well, if I'd have known what I was getting into then, you wouldn't be sitting here talking to me now. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. In all fairness, we did the first series and it was, it was really suck it and see. Um, and it turned out really great and people liked it. And then straight away, people were getting onto us saying, well, I didn't know that and that was good. And, and what I tried to do, listen, you know yourself, Richard, tanks, we love tanks and bits and pieces, but over the years, there wasn't many programs about the things we were in. Mm, if yeah. it was a project about a tank or a restaurant a tank, it was like, this bolt goes four turns to the left and one to the right, or you know what I mean? <laughs> then you do your anorak up a bit more, and or it was, you know, there was always, it didn't go down at all. I mean, my wife, Sue, I've got to be honest with you, military programs came on, she'd go in the kitchen chopping wood, you know what I mean? Just didn't do anything for them. So we did it, and I thought, well, I'll put a bit of humour into it, and we did. And I had my own people in it, and I've got some great people around me as well. And what came out was really good. We did it respectfully, historically correct. We had a bit of fun doing it, and people liked it. And after they did the, uh, the, the research on who would watch it, the demographics of the people who watched it after the first season was amazing. It was like mum, dad, kids, everybody. And, um, and it was the... I think I went to War and Peace and I'd, uh, and people go, oh, we really loved that. That was really nice. And the reason I did the second show, and I've got to be honest with you, I think I'd, be, I'd signed up. I said I'd, I'd do three and I had an option on the second show. But because people liked it so much, I said, no, why not? Let's do it. Let's do it. And you've got to remember the age bracket. I mean, for me and you with the big tanks and all that, it's great. But a lot of them are young lads and boys that are starting out like ourselves, teenagers, that type of thing. And if I can pass over a little bit of my knowledge and the fun I've had with it, why not? So then we go on to do the second series and we started going everywhere, Australia, the Philippines, America, blah, blah, everywhere. And it grew and grew and grew. Now, I've got to be honest here, it's so popular. I'm sitting in my house in Suffolk and I am one day, there's going to be a knock on the door and there's going to be a bloke there with a, tele, with a tape measure from France wanting to measure me for a statue because it is so popular in France. It's ridiculous, <laughs> right? And you've got to watch it because my French is brilliant. And in German, I'm a fantastic German, I speak. You'd be some, and I was shocked how popular it was on the continent as well. And then we did Russia, we did. And, and obviously, it, it, we went well, we went well. It's it going very, very well. The last series I did, Series 4, was really good. I really enjoyed that. And I'm getting more, we're getting away a little bit from the sort of wheeler dealer sort of side of it to telling the stories. And that's what I like to do and, and relaying to people what it was really like. Um, but and we were gearing up for series five, and then like, some idiot threw me out of a plane, and uh, <laughs> everything went uh, ass about face. I mean, it just went wrong. We did a bit of filming last year when I started to get better towards the end of the year, but I just weren't getting right. So, what they did was obviously that we did a VE day uh special, we got that in, but then unfortunately, I, I weren't getting right that to go in, take me to hospital in December and take my spleen out and other bits and pieces. So we've actually, we're starting again second week in June. We're starting, uh, well, I won't spoil the plot. We've got some really good stuff coming through. And I, I, I always try to make the series that we make better than the last. And then I do read the comments that people, you know yourself, Peter, a lot of people write to you and ask you about this. And, you know, I'm not saying I know everything, but I'm quite knowledgeable about the things I'm interested in. I mean, 
you know, outside the restoration we're doing, I, I really love to restore small items and get the boys to and look into the history of it. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the maddest ones was, and this shot me, you know, when I, I started getting into uh, buying Coca-Cola bottles, 1944 ones, you could buy loads of them at War and Peace. That was great. Looked good in the vehicles and that. But then I started buying the German ones from Stalingrad. Coca-Cola bottles. Started reading the history of that. Fascinating. Then we'd find something else. And all things I didn't know. And it's like uh, it's like somebody giving you a pill of knowledge. And I like to share it. I really, really do. I mean, you know, um, as I say, would I start out doing the TV? No. You know yourself. Uh, I mean, I don't think uh, any television or anything like that is that financially rewarding. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate because of a successful business and I've made my money doing something else. So I've got the ability to be able to do these shows, but really enjoy it, share it with other people, and hopefully in the not-too-distant future be able to allow people to come up and see what we've got up here as well. Oh, that'd Um, be fantastic. Well, with a series of open days and things we're trying to do as well. But there's... There's a lot going on. There's a lot of things I've been asked to do. But listen, I've hit 63 now, you know what I mean? I know you're never. about to say, you'd, no, you'd never believe it because I'm so good looking. But obviously, <laughs> you know, but I've got to be, because I ain't the all action man now. I thought I was. Um, that, la- that last, I mean, ch- ch- oh, no, forget it. I can't talk about it. There's photographs of me in this tree and there's a video of me falling out of it. Some clever ass Norwegian paratrooper took it and, uh, you know, I'll see it makes me blood curdle. But, but I don't know. As long as I can carry on doing it in this way and, you know, repeat to people what I've found interesting all my life. And, and I, I don't want to sound all wishy-washy and all that as well. There's certain things I have strong feelings about, about uh, kids should be taught in school a lot to do with the Second World War. And that's why the VE Day was very important, although we had the shutdown mm-hmm. and all that type of things. And there's, a, because the young kids of today have no idea what people went through in that Second World War. We've what the Russians went through with the concentration camps and all that. And so it's important to me, if I've got a platform, be able to get that across in a story that people, not gruesome or whatever, but they can understand and get interested in, I'll carry on doing it. Oh, as long as they want me for, I don't, you know, they might not want me anymore, but, you know, it's probably because my looks are fading. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. But <laughs> I'll carry on, Richard, because I enjoy it. I mean, many a time I've seen you down, you know, you have an absolute flair for it. You love it. You know, I've seen what you do when you do your tank, you get in your tank, you can tell people, explain, you're doing that from experience. But I I can tell you're doing it with a bit of passion as well. Yeah, right? and I, I think that comes across in combat dealers, Bruce. I mean, it's why I love it. Like you say, I mean, there are there are hordes and hordes of programs about the intricacies of you know tanks and machinery and history yeah. and everything. But yours comes across as somebody who's genuinely mm. passionate about it, and I, I think that really comes across. I think that's why people love it so much. Funny you should say, like um, you know, a bad comparison, but Top Gear. I mean, my my other half would never have watched any car program, but she absolutely right. loves Top Gear purely yeah. because it's you know it's not all about the cars and everything. It's also about you know the people and the adventures and everything else so it's fantastic but the thing is with our combat dealers i mean for, for me though obviously that we've we've done a lot of overs there's so many stories i'd like to do richard i mean deep in my heart you know I, anybody that fought and potentially gave up their lives during the second world war in this country or whatever but there are other people that did the same but didn't quite get the same 
coverage or the same gratitude mm. as yeah, other. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about people that, you know, the, the, the Burma veterans and some of the guys in Italy and all that. And not that, you know, everybody that did what they had to do, they did it. But I'd just like to focus in the future or maybe some of those stories a little bit more as well. Um, you know, I thought what those, what those, the Chindits, I'm really interested in the Chindits. As it said, I did a, a small article about the Chindits for, um, we had a, within our company, we had, um, up in Manchester, we had a, a guy whose dad was a Chindit and he died. And we wanted to put it, we've got a, our own on, online sort of magazine, company magazine. So I did a history about the Chindits and I'd always been uh, very interested in Mad Mike Calvert because of the, um, he became the commander, uh, the commander of the first SS and him and Paddy Main all that. But the more I started reading in the Chindits and their first big raid, unbelievable, unbelievable. If you ask people to do what they did today, they'd say, you're barking mad. You're <laughs> barking mad. Um, and, and, you know, there's some other stuff I'd like to try and focus on a little bit more as well. But things like the shows we've talked about and what you do and hopefully what I do, let people know about the history that they should know about in a nice way and, you know, telling the story. And, you know, um, I'm hoping to get on the arches one day if there's a wartime subject, but, you know, I don't, I don't know whether it'll have me. But, no, that's it's my passion, Richard. I'm never going to change. You know, I'm on the verge of uh, retiring anyway now um, and it'll give me plenty of time to go and see places that I'm really interested in and hopefully carry on with doing what I'm doing and partake my bit of knowledge to other people. I say, I can't imagine you retiring, Bruce, to be honest. You seem to have uh, more energy than people half your age, to be perfectly honest. Well, listen, I'm losing four and a half stone by falling out of a stupid <laughs> tree. Four and a half stone I lost, mate. All my life I'll be trying to lose weight. The first time now I'm trying to put it back on. Honestly. So, come back to us, Bruce. Give us, give us uh, your best moment and your worst moment. What was... Uh, my me, me best moment, how can I say, my best moment is definitely meeting the veterans. The, mm, um, yeah. We had an Irish guardsman up here during, the, we did a simulated battle up here. We had a Sherman, I had a Sherman going and uh, I got to know him very well. He was a friend of a guy that I worked with and um, the guy was, he should have been on the stage, he was a comedian, but when he told us that he was on the, um, he was on Market Garden he was with the Irish Guards. And when he told us a lot of the things that he'd been through, and that was, for me, very, very emotional. And, he, and unfortunately, he died last year, and I've got fantastic photographs of him now. And for me, meeting those people is the best thing ever for me. Honestly, yeah, the absolute I agree. No, best I agree thing, totally. You know? yeah. The worst thing is probably being in France and being served up something that looks like something at the bottom of a parrot's cage and being made to eat <laughs> on TV. So, you know, but, you know, look, look at what I do for my country. I don't know. I must say, they should be, give me a medal. I don't know about that. But no, I've enjoyed doing it, uh, Richard. And, you know, obviously, let's be fair, you know, the cooperation we get from the Tank Museum and, and Richard and David and everybody down there. And uh, for me, it, it, I've, I've, I've met a lot of people now and we do over the last few years we've been doing a lot of trips where we've had uh, different army units up to come see us had me all my up here a few times right bunch they were <laughs> but we've had up them doing a nice fish and chip lunch and all that and the guys really really do appreciate it because what I tend to do with them we get everything out and then I'll spread all the weapons and all the equipment out that them boys their forefathers would have used they normally do it before they do these battlefield tours as well and I reckon the PRA Parachute Regiment Association we've done a lot with them I've done a lot with obviously I've actually done some school stuff finding the time 
to do it is always difficult, but I always insist on doing a bit of a talk myself. I normally slip the boys up, we'll set, set three lots of people up doing it. And it's, the other thing is all the stuff I've collected over years, and I've got a lot of stuff up here, I know where everything came from. Everything, you know, um, and I've got a photographic memory in that respect and then knowing what it is. And I like to describe where this came from, where it came from. Um, I was about to say some dodgy deal, but I don't want to say that. I mean, some dodgy place we was in, <laughs> you know, as you, as you well know, having been there with me before. So, uh, you know, what I'm saying is I like to partake the history and all that. And I'll carry on doing it, mate. Yeah. You know, and I was going to say, just for those that aren't aware, I mean, Bruce is, you know, Bruce has got this amazing collection. I mean, I remember you very kindly invited me up to your place one day and saw this. I mean, it's, it's proper museum i mean we're not talking a few uh no it is it's a proper museum that you've got there yeah well we just were funny enough what well, unfortunately when i was uh, before the jump i had a guy started here two months before building all the display cabinets for a new part of the museum of course that's got stopped he starts again next monday to finish it off and the idea was because there were so many combat dealers fans that we were going to have these open days but mm. everything's got put back a year and a half but i'm still there I mean, we'll be doing it you know and it's um, again all the items that are there i know the history about and i'll make sure it's written down and i know my son and my daughter knows about it because one day you know listen all of us uh, custodians for our collections that's all we are we're keepers of the collections so one day everything you've got precious to you will be moved on right you're not bad all the things that i own will one day be moved on to somebody else but it's important to me that i pass on the history and the enjoyment i've had out of finding that history you know and we've got tanks here that have been you know we just this um panther that we just finished now we know that it was down in fillets we're close to finding out exactly what unit it was in we know it had around go through the front left hand track tore the sprocket off as well field repair on it and it's doing that history i've got the hetzer tank we're redoing here knocked out in clockenberg in april 1945 by the devon years uh, i'm very close to so much and it's doing that stuff but one day it'll be in somebody else's proud display. Uh, and I want to be able to pass that on. I mean, you know, as I say, you know, I can't compete with the likes of um, uh, Bovington. That's a commercial thing and a wonderful job they do down there as well. Um, but my little bit, I hope people appreciate. That's all I can say. I hope they appreciate. Um, as I say, it's, uh, TV is certainly not generated by wanting to be a millionaire, I can tell you. <laughs> um, you can tell that by the type of sandwiches they served up every day. So, so... Um, what's the uh, what's the favourite in the collection, Bruce? Have you got a favourite, or has it changed uh, Yeah, constantly? there's no question about it. It's my Svinwagen. My Svinwagen was my first vehicle that I bought. In 1971, I was on holiday in Guernsey with my father and mother, and I was reading a, 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 a book called... Um, no, that was Monte Cassino. I'll tell you, this is in, I was reading a book called uh, The Massacre at Malmony, and there was a famous picture there of what was purported to be Joachim Piper at the crossroads, the Kaiser Barrett crossroads, his famous photograph with him in the Duke, but it weren't him in the death. But I fell in love with that swim wagon. And the one we got, we got from, uh, it came from down Le Mans, near Le Mans in France. And when we got it, the monks, it was in a monastery, the monks were still using it to go to the shops to get their groceries. <laughs> and it was running, honestly. And for me, that's me, honestly my favourite vehicle. And uh, you know the others are nice and great, you know, but sometimes you've got to take stock and think, 
I'm not being funny. Somebody said to me, a good friend of mine in Germany said to me recently, he said, well, Bruce, how can you enjoy them all? You've only got one arse. Right, so you can only sit on one. Arse. And I, you know, listen, I'm very, very happy with what I've been able to collect, restore over the years and give pleasure to other people with. Um, I'm probably slowing down a bit. I'm, you know, I'm... I'm the museum we're trying to do here, there's certain areas I want to get finished working on a, a bunker section next with uh, all the tele radio, everything, and I want to do that. And then we're doing a big airborne display with the original airborne parts. So I've got plenty to do yet, Richard. Uh, I'm, but I'm not I'm not on a, a, a some sort of race <laughs> with Bovington. That ain't never going to happen. Um, Bovington have been great help to me over the years. And anybody listening to this, I can tell you, get yourself down there this summer when this is lifted. It's the best museum for town and warfare anywhere in the world in my opinion and i've been to them all believe me as you have so restorations bruce you talk about and obviously i've, I've been around a lot of these places seen a lot of the collectors i mean it must be i mean what happens when you you get to a point in a restoration where you just think i can't get hold of this part or i mean do you actually make stuff from scratch or right yeah well let me get first of all and i'll wind back here now um when we were, um, if I go back to the Hetzer tank, Hetzer tank got a very interesting history. During the war, it had an L-39 gun on it, okay? After this war, the Swiss bought them, and they put an L-40 gun on a different gun. It was a, And they changed it a lot. So when we came to restore our Hetzer, I had to change a lot of, because I had an original gun. But I had to change all the winding gears, really, really complicated bits. Couldn't find them anywhere. So what did I do? I phoned David Willie and I said, David, would there be a possibility to get in your tank and taking out these gears, right, reproduce them and replace them? And straight away, David was kind enough to say, yes, all right, I, I, I help with the charity stuff and I tried to raise money for them. But that's how I've overcome a lot of things. With other museums, also, then you tend to take something and say, can this be remade? You can one of the other vehicles we're doing here now, we're doing another Pioneer 251. Now, on armoured vehicles, the, the German 251 vehicles, the heavy armour works, but all the soft material, the wings, the side boxes, none of that ever survives, just doesn't survive. And so there are plenty of people that have got an original pattern and remade them. Fortunately, you can start with that. So if you want to finish something, you can put a repro one on. And then later on, a year later, you'll find an original. And that's the beauty about doing this as well. Many times I've come home, you know, from a, a fair on the continent, saying, I can't wait to open my boot. Look what I've got, look what I've got. And seeing that it fits straight in. But yes, we do have to make a lot of things. I mean, on the the Panther here, we made all new torsion bars because um, wow. they're a critical part. Um, we made new rubber tyres for the um, for the wheels. Um, so we do have to manufacture a lot of bits, bit of bits and pieces. But obviously then you've got to balance up the cost. It, it, it's not cheap doing these things. I've got to be honest. Oh, sure. It, it, it's really not cheap. And uh, um, I, it's not, and it, I, I mean, I certainly don't do it because I want to sell these things off or whatever. I do it because I love, I love the chase of finding the parts or getting something remade. So again, it, sometimes you can be lucky and have good days and bad days, you know, especially when you've spent all your money and gone over on the continent, paid for a hotel for half a dozen people uh, and regretted how much you spent on beer the <laughs> night before, and then you find you walk away with nothing. And other times you can go and find that you, you can't get it all in the boot of your car. So it's part of the fun and the passion. Not only that, as I say, 
visiting places as well. I mean, this stuff's getting hard to find. It really is getting hard to find now as well. But just go into those places. And then there's a few times I've been to places and um, we've been to shows or we've been to places where we're looking around. And I've had people say, uh, Monsieur, uh, you, you interested me? Oh, yeah, follow me. Gone in a bar. It's a set of wheels on a track. And I mean, it's just such a thrill. It really is a thrill. Uh, that's Allied and, you know, uh, German stuff as well. So, because the Allied stuff, fortunately, is a lot harder to get hold of because they supplied everybody after the war, uh, certainly the Americans, and there are no end to spares. There are no end. Um, with a lot of the German stuff, a lot of it was destroyed after the war, uh, certainly the tanks and I, so it's very, very hard to find. Um, in the 60s and the 80s, places like Russia and Poland were on a scrap drive, so stuff just got scrapped up that was left. Um, so you've got to be lucky. You've got to have a sense, you got to, you know, you've got to have a sense of the Irish with you. You've got to be a bit lucky when you're only on these, uh, these hunts. And people are sort I mean, people are more and more appreciating the value of this stuff. Is I mean, I think oh, yeah. before they just weren't, they just weren't aware of it now, no. but it's, um, it's getting no. ridiculous levels now. Absolutely ridic- ridiculous to be honest. And that's like, you know, and, and uh, even new projects that we're tending to find now because they're becoming so valuable, you know, whereas you could get virtually a whole of a vehicle 15, 20 years ago and then restore it. Now you get in what is basically a pile of rust and then, Oh, well, it's that. Oh, is it? Well, you know, um, and, but then sometimes you've got to be happy with what you got and then, that's where places like Bovington come in and, and in these fantastic museums where you can go in and physically see these vehicles. So, you know, a lot of the museums, as you know, the vehicles don't move, drive, or mm. they're not complete. For me, finding original vehicles and then taking it back to life is a real pleasure. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's something that I'll never, ever lose the ability to have a real passion for. Um, and there's lots of places I want to go, you know. I, I really want to go and see other places. Um, you know, our good friend Tracy, obviously, with the stories of the Spitfires and things like that. I mean, ultimately, they're stories that you want to believe in. Can, you know, there are lots of stories like that. Uh, a lot of them, you know, are not true. Others, there is a little sense of this. And, you know, I've got some, I've got some things I want to follow up on that I, I, I know are there. It's just getting the time to go there. Um, you know, in the, in the 80s, in the 80s, in the mid-80s, I was involved with a, a gentleman called uh, Robert Hills, Hill Small Calms. And we travelled the world buying uh, up um, weapons from Second World War. But the main place we were buying them from was Yugoslavia before the war. And the first trip I went to Belgrade, 86, I think. I'm going into rooms with brand-new brain guns, Thompsons, MG42s, every weapon you can think, stacked in their thousands, stacked in their thousands. And we had a bonded store in Barkin and Essex, and they were brought back, and we would cut them up and send them to the America, uh, to America as parts kits because of the laws and et cetera, et cetera. And during the trips down there, I've seen unbelievable collections. I mean, we were down there one day and uh, we were in Sarajevo before, this was before the conflict, and we had to go to one aircraft um, building because there were a thousand MP40s there. A thousand. And then we sighted them. I, needed, I took all photographs and never forget. So Stanley started loading them up. The guy standing with us went, just a minute, I think we still got some more. And he said something in Hugo, and he disappeared. And he come back uh, 30 minutes later, and he had another 40 machine guns. I said, where's he been? He said, he's just been up the local jail and got them. He said all the guards <laughs> up there was, was – <laughs> and he did. And, you know, we was buying an MP4, three 
magazines in a pouch for a hundred US dollars. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Wow. You know, I mean, I think uh, an old spec now one's getting on for three thousand pounds now. It's ridiculous. But, Good lord! And then you get into the history and, and that sort of stuff as well. Two of the my, the, the best weapons. We were, another time we we're up in uh, Belgrade. We we're loading up Bren guns. When we got them back to our store in um, Barking. We were unloading them, and a, a, a gentleman helping us called, um, oh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, loaded them into the store, and he went, hey, hang on, look at that one. So it's a Bren gun, and it's got a Waffenham stamp on it, right? And then he went, oh, there's another one here. Now, I've got them both, right? So one's Enfield, 1940 built, and it's got a Waffenham stamp on. Now, it's brought out of Yugoslavia. Right, so you can assume because they went to second line troops, they would send them to garrison troops and those type of people. So you can assume it's with the British Expeditionary Force, probably work it out, whatever it could. Or some. So it's been captured, re inspected by a German armourer, stamped to say it was okay. Great, interesting. I've been up there today, it, you know, it's Dunkirk Day, day 80 years today, and it probably came there. But then the other one was the interesting one. Picked up another one, right? English, 1941, right? Okay, Waffenham stamp. It had a bullet hole go right through where you put the magazine in, been beautifully repaired, Waffenham stamp. Right, Canada. So it's made in Canada. Right, where the hell, if it was made then, right, and it's gone all the way to Yugoslavia before the Canadians got back on the continent, it can only be Dieppe. It can only be Dieppe. Now, you know, it makes your mind start thinking about, and then you'd spend a couple of days researching Dieppe. And I found a series of photographs of them poor people and them poor guys on Dieppe um, where they were collecting up all the weapons. There are Bren guns lined up on the beach and, and, and Lee Enfields, but must be 100 Bren guns. And thinking that this weapon, you think of the story it's had, it's been made in Canada, come yeah. over to England, trained, gone to possibly Dieppe, got captured, gone all the way down to Yugoslavia to fight, you know. It's... Uh, it's it's great. Great reading. Is there anything you'd steer away from as a collector? Are you? Uh, is there certain things that you think? No, not really. Yeah, I'm, obviously anything to do with what I call the dark side. Uh, you know, this concentra- these weirdos with concentration camp stuff, and anything that's re- I, I, that's or political. Or, no, that's not for me. It's really not for me. And I, I, I don't anything to do. People collect um, party stuff, Nazi party stuff, badges, uniforms. Fine, that you do what you want, but that's not me. I'm not into that sort of stuff. Um, American stuff, British stuff. I'm really, at the moment, I'm really keen on uh, building up some of the uh, British stuff we've got at the moment. Um, but that side, I, I wouldn't touch. I'm not into that stuff at all. Even if it was the most interesting thing you could ever see. Mm. Now, I've... I've um, I can't say to that. So I was on the continent. <laughs> be careful once, what you say, now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few years ago, and I'd sold a vehicle to an American, uh, a super bargain. Uh, this was thirty years ago, and uh, anyway, uh, we're uh, dealers in um, uh, dealers in Poland. Oh, there he is. I know he's there. And uh, he's he's claimed a frame. He got um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mingler's overcoat or Joseph Mingler's. A white coat, and he was so proud of this thing. It was untrue. Now, you know, that's no, no. Unfortunately, there's a line you can't, you don't cross. So, in my opinion, but but Churchill's bath is fine, of course. Ah, uh, listen. <laughs> the times I told you, listen. Churchill for me um, was the greatest Briton ever. Now he made some terrible mistakes through his career. He really, really did. But 
when we needed that man, and he believed in destiny, you know, he believed in destiny and all three, and he could be a grumpy sod and all that. But when we needed him, he was a man of destiny. And he's the greatest Briton ever, in my opinion, but to my dying days, I'll never, ever forgive what this country did to him in 1945 when they threw him out, right? They threw the man that really kept, You know, if he had to be in charge, there were so many people within the government that wanted to have an alliance, a treaty, not so much an alliance, but certainly an agreement with uh, Hitler, mm. let him have free range in, in Europe and they'd stay away from the Commonwealth, etc. You know, we would have, we uh, some people, and it, it was a growing majority of people, would have probably gone down that road. But that man stood fast and, uh, and we threw him out. Oh, you know, it's, for me, unbelievable. And the problem was, after that, it certainly went a little bit, up and down after that, and we called him back. We needed him back. But he, he'd lost it then, mate. He was an old man, and although he took the position, he knew the threat of Stalin before anybody, mate. And uh, I think if we'd have voted him back in, in 1945, things could have been a lot different. Certainly a lot of lives would have been saved, in my opinion. But for me, the greatest Britain ever, after me. <laughs> I, like, I like that castaway comment uh, after me. Um, so, uh, Bruce, we, we've asked a few questions of the audience. I think, oh, you, to be honest, you've asked, uh, you've answered a lot of them during this. But um, uh, one of them there was, what would be your holy grail of restoration? So, if you could choose anything at all, and you had, you know, the time, the money, yeah, uh, and could actually locate it, what would you love to do? It's, um, I'm really into heads of tanks. Or, I really, really am. The hets that we've got, as I say, was knocked out in 1945, know the full history of it, et cetera, et cetera. But towards the end of the war, they were working on a new Hetzer type, and it was called a um, Hetzer Star. And they actually manufactured some, and they took part in the Battle of, Berlin, uh, the Battle of uh, Prague. And after the war, there were a few kicking about. They're completely different, completely different gun, although it looked the same, but it was a different gun. The recoil system was, was completely different. The suspension was different. And it had a Praga uh, diesel engine in it. Now, to my mind, none have survived. Um, finding that and restoring that would be... Just incredible. I got the clutch plate for one, but that's about it. <laughs> it's a star. It's, it's called a Hetzer Star. Have a look at that. I mean, wow, it's, okay. Say, yeah, and it, after the war, in some of the uh, parading <laughs> in, in, in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Czechoslovakia. The, um, what they did was they had them in the parades, and you see them, and although they look, when you look closely, it's completely different. The um, yeah, the recoil's taken up on the suspension. Really, really, in a way, unique piece of kit. And if they'd started producing them, as I say, with a diesel engine as well, because they'd start to change over there, whether it made a difference or not, I don't know. But for me, that would be the vehicle that I would love to find. I'd love to find that. Um, we've also had a lot of people, and you sort of mentioned it before, uh, your, your collection up there. Would you ever consider opening it? I know you do lots of special events, and you're incredibly yeah. kind. Would you ever consider opening it to the public? Yes, I think a- certainly when I when I get to the stage where I'm going to fully retire, which is going to be quite shortly. Um, we've got, where I live up here, we've got, this place is phenomenally uh, dotted with American air bases from the war, and yep. I support a lot of them. Lots of museums up here. And these young, these guys that run the museum put their own time in, and I support them a lot with bits and pieces, uh, and I see what's involved in it. So certainly 
when I retire, because most of the guys that run these small museums, we would. We'd look at possibly doing weekend openings or something like that. So we are talking about it, and there's a good possibility. Fortunately, my son Max is very, very keen to do that and get on board and share that with people. So watch this space. Oh, fantastic. So what about the future then, Bruce? I mean, hopefully you're not going to be putting on a parachute again in the near future. Um, Sold it. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things we sold it. Um, But I don't know. Being up here, spending more time at home with my wife and all that, although we've lived up here 30 years, I love where I live. I absolutely adore where I live. Um, I love this country. Um, And to be honest, we're planning to try and do a lot more sightseeing around things I've been putting off for years and years and years. Uh, we're not great people for sitting on beaches and things like that because we love our animals, our dogs. We've got four dogs up here. Um, but again, possibly, certainly possibly, uh, there's a few stories I want to try and follow. I've even talked about on two occasions doing two books um, and maybe that might come out. I'm very, very interested in there are some uh, certain angles of the United Kingdom's history I'm interested in. Um, could be quite controversial if I do it, but, you know, that's for the future. We'll see. Wow, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Bruce, thank you so much. I realise we're, we're running short on that time now. Um, I mean, thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad, well, firstly, to be able to be sat here today talking to you. So um, glad to see you looking so well. Uh, keep up the good work and uh, please don't retire anytime soon, will you? Just, uh, well, listen, mate, I won't. But listen, I'll be looking forward to you coming up here and coming and having a beer when I can have a beer because I haven't had a beer for a year and a half now. So, uh, you know, certainly you're welcome anytime, Richard. You know that. And anytime I can be of assistance to you or your listeners please you just give me a bell brilliant thanks bruce thank you so much for your time um bruce crompton everybody uh, again incredible man love listening to bruce could sit down there all day and t- talk to him about about nothing really about yeah. all and everything um that's it for us thanks ever so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time for another episode of tank nuts mm-hmm.